Tonight, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, please. Galatians chapter 4. It's been several weeks since we were here last with uh, people being gone, vacations, conference, all of that stuff. And so we're getting back to it tonight. I know there's several that are sick tonight. I got a few different texts today saying folks weren't going to be here, they weren't well. Uh, so we'll pray for them um, that they would recover that stomach bug going around, I guess. Galatians chapter 4, <clears throat> we're going to read verses 1 through 7. We started in this portion a few weeks ago when we were here last. And so I'm going to do a little review since it's been a little while. And then we'll get into our text verses, which are actually going to be verses 6 and 7. But it's all connected. So let's start in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now in chapter 4, Paul is continuing his thoughts from chapter 3. And Paul has been explaining the difference between the law of Moses and law-keeping and works and grace, the difference between the two and the inferiority of the Mosaic law compared to the covenant promise given to Abraham. And if you'll recall, the whole context here is that Paul is writing to the churches, plural, of Galatia because the Judaizers had come along. Those were those who said they were believing, but they, what they were doing was adding another element to salvation instead of by grace through faith, they would say, you have to believe in Jesus for salvation, but you also have to keep the law. You've got to be circumcised. And because the law came after the promise, there's this new element added to salvation. And they had bewitched the Galatian believers. They were born again by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ and His shed blood and His finished work. And now there were them, those who were coming along and perverting the gospel, as Paul said, and the Galatians were foolish. He says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that ye should be removed. And, and these uh, were preaching and promoting a gospel which was not another gospel of the same kind, but a false gospel. And so Paul is defending the gospel of Jesus Christ, number one. Number two, his apostleship, that what his message was, was given by God, not of men. And that's the whole context here. And so Paul has been going along and explaining the difference between law-keeping and grace and how law-keeping leads to bondage, but there's freedom in Jesus Christ. And the Mosaic law is so inferior compared to the covenant promise given to Abraham that in, in thee all nations of the world would be blessed. He's referring to Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ would come. And the idea, again, 
is that the law could never give spiritual life. It could never give somebody a right standing with God. Trying to keep the laws, which you can never do because it demands perfection in every point, no person possibly could. You can't work for your salvation, is what Paul is saying, and it'll never give you a right standing with God. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you look at chapter 3 and verse 26, he says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How do you become a child of God? By faith in Jesus Christ. You skip to verse 29, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So in Christ Jesus, through faith, you're Abraham's seed, spiritually speaking, and you have all of the benefits and all of the, the, the rights and privileges found in Jesus Christ. And so that's the context. And again, the law had a function, but it was a temporary thing until the coming of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came and when He fulfilled all the law perfectly, the only one who ever could... The law was to be done away with. It was to be set aside. And so then when Paul moves into chapter 4, in chapter 3, Paul described believers as sons of God. He says you're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so then as we move into chapter 4, Paul says you have all the rights and privileges of a son in God's family, and he goes on to show that the law could never give you those blessings and those benefits. They could never come by the law. They, <clears throat> excuse me, the Galatians needed to grow up and move on from the basic things into maturity in Christ. The law doesn't give liberty or life, just the opposite. It doesn't open life. It restricts it. And to show that, Paul used some real-life illustrations to help them understand that. And he said that the law was like a tutor. In a Roman household, you remember, you recall this, those tutors were those who controlled uh, the time uh, of, of the children of, of a wealthy Roman. And they were slaves, as you remember, they were appointed by the father to look after the child of the house, manage his life, and to do so until that child or that young man came of age. And when that happened, the slave's control over the child ceased. That boy, who is now legally a man, was free from the rules and the restrictions that had governed his life under that slave-guardian model. And Paul explained all of that in chapter 3 in order to show the Galatians that, listen, by putting yourself back under the Mosaic law, you are not moving forward spiritually in your Christian life. Just the opposite. You're moving backwards. And by returning to the law, you're returning back to slavery. That's what he's trying to get across. And in chapter 4... In our text verses, he elaborates further on this by contrasting the life under the law with life in Christ. And it's the difference between being a slave and being a free one. And he says, you don't need legalism. You don't need the 
keeping of the law. You have everything that you need in Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that Paul does here in chapter 4 is he begins to explain their adoption. In verse 5, he says, in verse 5, he says, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Among the blessings of being a Christian and being born again believer in Jesus Christ is experiencing adoption into God's family. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now this word adoption, we need to understand because it's not the same thing as the way we would understand adoption in our culture. We don't enter into God's family by adoption in the same way that a parentless child in our culture would enter into a loving family. The only way to get into God's family is by regeneration. Did you know that no one has always been a part of God's family? No one has always ever been that. We come into this world a creation of God, but that does not make us part of God's spiritual family. We're born into this world separated from God. People say, I've always been a Christian. That's not true, according to the Word of God, because no one has always ever been a Christian. The only way we get into God's family is through regeneration, being born again, brand new, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Spiritual birth that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and His blood. Now, the word adoption here, it means to place as an adult son. Okay, so follow this thinking. Paul says that Jesus came to redeem them, which we'll talk about that word in a second, who are under the law that we might receive to place the adoption of sons. It means to place as an adult son. It has to do with our standing in the family of God. We are not little children in the sense that, like in a Roman culture, a child even, and Paul says this, and I'll show you this in just a second, you, the child might be the richest person on the planet as a son of, of the father, but he cannot take full advantage of his riches as an infant child. But it's not the same way in the Christian life. We're adopted in the family of God, but we're placed in the family as adult sons. We're not in the situation where we can't take full advantage of our inheritance. But adult sons, as adult sons, we have all the rights and all the privileges of sonship right now. Now, it's true that we're children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We're born into God's family spiritually. But we do not grow up into our inheritance. Every child of God is automatically placed into the family of God as a son. And as a son, we have all the legal rights and privileges of a grown son. When a sinner trusts Jesus Christ and he's saved, as far as his condition is concerned, he's a spiritual baby in Christ, for certain. He needs to grow, spiritually speaking. 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. As far as his position is concerned, though, he's an adult son who can draw on his father's wealth 
right now. And he can exercise all those wonderful privileges of sonship. And I'm going to show you what some of those are in just a minute. But we enter God's family by regeneration. We enjoy God's family by adoption. The Christian doesn't have to wait to begin enjoying the spiritual riches that are in Jesus Christ. And so, as Paul begins this discussion here with the Galatians, he reminds them of three facts. The first thing that he reminded them of is what they were. In verses 1 and one through 3, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Paul reminds them what they were, and what they were was, were children who were in bondage. In verses 1 and 2, Paul makes this, this, he, he makes this correlation, and he uses this real-life illustration here. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. In other words, what he's saying is, in that culture and in that society, no matter how wealthy a father may be, his infant or young son could not fully enjoy that wealth. In the Roman world, the children of wealthy people were cared for by slaves that were appointed by the father. They're called tutors and governors here in the text. A tutor was, was the one who controlled the child's time, the one who controlled the child's education. The governors were those who, who controlled the, the child's assets, his inheritance, because he wasn't old enough and mature enough and wise enough to handle those things. They were controlled by someone else. And that's why he says the heir, as long as he's a child, he doesn't differ anything from the servant, even though he's got something coming and he's Lord of all. He's still in the same boat. No matter who his father was, the child was still a child. And under the supervision of a servant, he wasn't free to do as he pleased. In fact, the child himself wasn't much different than the servant who guarded him, even though he was the heir of all things. And that was until the time appointed by the father. He would come of age at a time appointed by his father. Now, often, that was around 14 or 15 years old, he wouldn't be under tutors anymore, those who controlled his time, those who controlled his education. Usually, it wasn't until the early 20s that he would be given full control of the assets of his inheritance to do with as he pleased. And Paul used that illustration to show the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel under the law. That's why he says in verse 3, even so we, so here's the, here's the application, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. That was the spiritual condition of the Jews under the age of the law. The law, you recall, was the guardian that disciplined the nation and prepared them for the coming of Christ. In chapter 3, Paul talks about this in verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. 
Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that, faith has come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. And so, so what Paul is saying is that was what the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel was. So when the Judaizers came along, they led the Galatians back into this legalistic way of keeping the law to earn favor with God. They were leading them back into religious bondage and immaturity. And verse 3, Paul states that the Jews... They were like little children in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, that phrase is an expression that means things placed side by side in a row. And it was used as a term for soldiers in rank and file. It was also used as a term for letters of the alphabet. A, B, C, D, things placed side by side in a row. It really became known as a term simply for learning your ABCs. The learning of the alphabet, the first lesson in literary education. So the expression came to mean the rudiments or the first principles or the basics. That's what the law was. The elemental things, the basics, the spiritual ABCs, if you will. And so for 15 centuries, Israel had been in kindergarten or grade school under the law, learning their spiritual ABCs. And so they should have been ready when Jesus Christ came. They should have been ready to move on into maturity in Christ, to receive Him. Well, legalism, or keeping the law to earn favor with God, was not a step towards maturity. It was reverting back to childhood. Under the law, the Jews were children in bondage, not sons enjoying liberty in, in Christ. And so for them, for these Galatians to come out of sin and into Christ through faith, to leave those elemental principles that they were under, and then to put themselves back under the law of Moses was to go back to the elementary principles and go back into slavery. That's what Paul's trying to get across. It was like a young man who had been freed from the guardians and the managers of his life and the tutors of his life and the governors and enjoying the freedom of an adult son doing as he pleased, and then giving all of that up and then putting himself back into the slavery of the guardians. Does that make sense? Everybody following that? And so Paul shows what you were. Under the law, what you were. Children in bondage. But secondly, Paul shows what God did. In verses 4 and 5, he says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So Paul reminds them what they were, and then Paul reminds them what God did. He redeemed us. Amen? The mission of Jesus Christ was to redeem them who were under the law. The word redeem, it means to set free by paying a price. It carries the meaning with it to never return again to the thing that you were set free from. 
This is really critical in the statements that Paul is making and the, and the idea he's getting across. To redeem them who are under the law, it carries the meaning to never return again to the thing that you were redeemed from. It was a commercial term used of buying slaves. The slave market was common in Roman cities and a man could purchase a slave in any Roman city because it was estimated that there were some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. A man could either purchase a slave to keep him for himself or he could purchase a slave to set him free. Jesus came to redeem them, to set them free, amen, and never go back again. Christ came to buy us out of the slave market of sin and set us free. That was the only way, listen, that we would ever obtain our freedom. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. And so to go back into the law would be to undo the very work of Christ on the cross. That's what Paul's trying to say to these Galatian believers. He didn't purchase you to make you a slave. He purchased you to make you a son under the law, the Jews were slaves, but under grace, the believer is a son of God with an adult standing in God's family. Now, that brings us to verses 6 and 7, <coughs> where I want us to spend the rest of our time here tonight. And here's the third thing that Paul reminds these Galatian believers of. Not only what they were, not only what God did, but thirdly, reminds them what they were like what we are right now currently does that make sense verse 6 says and because ye are sons god hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart crying abba father wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son and if a son then an heir of god through christ the third thing that paul reminds them of is what we are. We are sons and we are heirs of God in Christ. Now, we can read over those words and we can say, great, I'm a son of God. I'm an heir of God in Christ. But what does that mean? What are the benefits? What's the conclusion we should draw from that? Why is that special? Well, first of all, it describes for us this new relationship that we have to God as a father. Before we're saved, God is our judge. Amen? We are under the wrath of God, condemned for all eternity. But in Christ, we receive the adoption of sons, a son of God with full rights and privileges in God's family, and I have this brand new relationship with God. He's my father. Now understand this. Again, the contrast that Paul is making is not between infant sons and adult sons. The contrast is between slaves and sons. What you were, you were a slave. What you are now is an heir of God, a son of God. The contrast is easy to see. First of all, a son has the same nature as his father, a servant does not. Look at verse 6, the first part of verse 6. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart. 
A son has the same nature as his father. A servant does not. When we trust Jesus Christ and we we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we repent of our sin uh, and, and we trust in Christ, we get a brand new nature. And the Bible says that God sends forth the Spirit, capital S, of His Son into your heart. To give positive demonstration that Christians, real Christians, are true sons and daughters of God, God the Father sends forth the Holy Spirit into their heart. You know what that means? It means deity is now dwelling within. Amen! It means deity is now dwelling inside of your heart. As soon as the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside your heart, He begins to cry out, Abba, Father. There's a couple words here that are important words. The word Abba. It's actually an Aramaic word. And it, if we were to translate it, it would simply mean Papa to us. But the word in Aramaic, it conveys a familial intimacy to it. It, it, it conveys a closeness. It conveys a, a tenderness. It, it conveys love that, that comes with, with a, 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 a dad and his, and his child. Does that make sense? The word father that's used here is the Greek word pater. It's where we get our English word paternal from, but it's one that was more of reverence, more of respect. And so you got two sides going on here of the same relationship. Both of these words are words that convey respect, but they also convey endearment or intimacy or closeness and tenderness. And as soon as we're saved, the Holy Spirit begins to cry out, Father, Father, in our heart, telling us through experience that we are truly members of God's family. We have a new relationship with the Heavenly Father because of redemption through Jesus Christ and the witness of the Holy Spirit telling us that we truly are sons and daughters of God. Here is God the Father. Here is Creator of all. Here is the all-powerful of all the universe with the, who deserves reverence and respect. Yes, amen. That's how we ought to see Him. But here is also Papa. Intimacy, closeness, love. We didn't have that kind of relationship before Jesus Christ came in. Romans 8 and verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's deity living inside, bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Listen, the Father's purpose was not only to secure us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, but then also to assure us and to comfort us through the Holy Spirit. He sent His Son that we might receive the status of sonship, adult sons in God's family. He sent forth His Spirit that we might understand the experience of it, that close relationship with Him. And in this, we find a vital and intimate relationship that exists between adult sons 
and the Heavenly Father. That's awesome. The fact that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in our hearts, cries unto God for us. Listen, that's something that, and He makes intercession for us. That's something that should reassure us greatly. However, there's a lot of factors that can prevent such full reassurance on our part. You know, there are times in your Christian life, you probably would, should know this, that there are times in your Christian life where you feel close to the Lord and you're walking in the Spirit and you're drawing near to God and God is, His presence is in your life and the Spirit of God. And then there's other times, maybe when you're not so close to the Lord and maybe you don't doubt your salvation, but you know something's not right in the relationship. You're not as close as you used to be. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, one of His purposes of indwelling is to bring comfort and assurance, bearing witness that I am truly a child of God. But sometimes that full reassurance is prevented. How? Why? Well, we could talk about several things, but here's one reason why. Because we still have a sin nature. We're born in sin We're prone to sin. Sin causes separation. It grieves the Spirit of God. One consequence of a life that is continually harboring sin can certainly be doubt. You find yourself doubting your salvation, struggling with it? It could be because there's sin in your life. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. But you know what? The Bible says that He knoweth our frame, and He remembereth that we are dust. Psalm 103 and verse 14. He knows our condition. He's greater than that. And besides having an old sin nature still, we also have an adversary in the devil who walks about Seeking whom he may devour. He's also seeking whom he can discourage in their Christian life. How does he do that? Well, you know, because we are prone to sin, sometimes we do mess up. The devil can bring things into your mind like this. Hey, Demlo, you messed up again. God's really angry at you because he's an angry God. He's going to destroy you. Probably forever. Are you even saved? How could you possibly do something like that? The devil brings things into our mind to bring discouragement into the heart. Hey, you keep failing over and over again. You messed up again. God's really angry at you. Oh, he's going to get you hard. This is really hard, this Christian life. This serving the Lord. It's so hard. Might as well just give up. Everyone's judging you anyway. You might as well go. He wants to discourage the saint of God. In all these difficulties, though, we have the support of the Spirit of God bearing witness with my spirit 
that I am a child of God. Yep, you can fail. Yep, you can mess up. And you might feel the sting and the conviction, which you should. But when we're walking in the Spirit or we're submitting to the Spirit of God, when He's doing His work in our heart, there's one thing that can never be taken away. Even when you mess up. You know what that is? You are a child of God. And the Spirit bears witness. One man said this, especially in times of trials, a Christian feels the power of sin, the infirmities of his flesh, the goading darts of the devil, the scowl and the judgment of God. All these things cry out against us. The law scolds us. Sin screams at us. Death thunders at us. The devil roars at us. In the midst of the clamor, though, the Spirit of God cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. And this little cry of the Spirit transcends the noise of the law and sin and death and the devil and finds a hearing with God. What a glorious truth, my friend, to sense and to know the comfort of the Spirit of God in me when I am troubled on every side, even when I've messed up, I'm assured that I will always be His. I'm not going to lose that. He's not going to disown me. Amen? I'll always be His. I don't want to mess up. But I've got this old sin flesh. I've got an adversary. And sometimes they get in the way and sometimes the flesh takes control. But I know this. Because of the Spirit of God bearing witness, I will never not be a child of God. What a great benefit. Amen? Great benefit. Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart. A son has the nature of his father. A servant does not. And to bring it back to what Paul is saying to the Galatians, the law could never, ever give a person God's nature within. All it can do is show a person their desperate need of God's nature. And that's why Paul asked them that question in chapter 3 and verse 2. He says this, Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? But Paul asked him the question. Listen, the law could never give you a new nature. It could never give you the nature of God. Did you receive the Spirit of God by the works of the law or by faith in Jesus Christ? The second Contrast is this. A son has a real father. The servant does not. Notice what he says the last part of verse 6. He says, He sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through faith. Again, one of the first evidences that a person is a child of God 
is that he has the Holy Spirit inside of him crying, Father, Father. And the way God assures us of our sonship is, is not by some special, spectacular showing, some sign, some gift. You, you hear people being slain in the Spirit or they receive the Spirit in evangelical or charismatic circles. It's evidence God or that you have the Holy Spirit and you, you've heard of all of these things. God doesn't assure us of our sonship by some spectacular sign or super emotional experience. No. He assures us by that quiet inward witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart. There's a story about a Christian woman who is fairly new in the faith, new believer. And one day she had received word that her fiancé had been suddenly killed in an accident. And again, she was relatively new, a Christian, and when she received this word, she was just overwhelmed and she was heartbroken. And she went up into her bedroom and she shut the door. Her mother heard her sobbing. And after a while, the mother said to this woman's father, I think you better go up and see her. She needs a father right now. So the father went upstairs and he was about to open the door when he heard his daughter sobbing and sighing. And he just quietly opened the door just a crack and he saw that she was kneeling beside the bed with her head buried in her hands, crying out, Oh, Father! Oh, Father! Oh, Father! Her dad just quietly shut the door and he went back downstairs and said to his wife, She's in better hands than mine because she's with her Heavenly Father. A son has a real father who loves and cares in tenderness. A servant does not. As sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, we have the great privilege of His comfort and His help in our lives, His tender care that for a grieving, troubled heart. We have the gentle prodding when we start to stray. We have the leading beside the still waters. We have the restoring of our soul because we have a Father who cares and who loves. You know what? There's nothing like the comfort and security for a child that comes from the protection of a loving Father. It's really important for us to have the right relationship with our children. We set the standard and the picture and the image in their minds of who God is. And a child who feels insecure, who doesn't know that their father loves them, who feels inferior, inadequate, they grow up having the same image of God so often. But what about the tender love of a father that brings confidence, that brings connection, that brings security to the child's heart? That's the kind of God that He is.
You know, we not only have privileges like that, but friend, we also have responsibilities. As a member of God's family, <clears throat> we have that comfort. But we also have responsibilities. We have a responsibility to walk a godly life so as to please our Heavenly Father. It's impossible to lose our position as sons and daughters in God's family. However, we may fail to please God in our daily life. We might be obedient or we might be disobedient. We might be faithful or we might be unfaithful. We might be committed or we, or we may not be committed as children of God. And if we're not pleasing God in our walk, then guess what? Our Father in love has to bring some discipline into our life to teach us the folly of going our own way, living for self, depending on the flesh. And God will discipline us as our loving Heavenly Father. Why? Because He loves us. Because He desires that we should walk godly and live godly lives. Hebrews 12 and verse 10 says, For they, speaking of human fathers, for they... Verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But He, God, our Heavenly Father, for our profit. In other words, He chastens us for our profit. And here's the reason why. That we might be partakers of His holiness. Amen? And then He says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Nobody loves that. But grievous. Nevertheless, Here's the reason it's profitable, and here's the reason why. Because afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. That's another benefit, actually, of being part of the family of God, having a father. He's not going to let us just go and do our own thing. You know, the Bible also goes on to say that you call yourself a Christian, you live your life the way you want, and you never ever experiencing the chastening hand of the Lord, then you're a bastard, an illegitimate son. He says you're a bastard and not a son, meaning that you're not really a son of God. Why? Because God chastens every son whom He receiveth, so that we all might be partakers of His holiness. There's a lot of people who sit in churches and sit in pews and they grace us with their presence when they walk through the door every now and then. Oh, I love God. Oh, I love Jesus. But the rest of their life, you wouldn't be able to tell that they're really truly a believer, that they're part of God's family. All the while they say, oh, I love Jesus. And they never, they never experience any kind of chastening from the Lord when it's clear they're not being obedient to the commands of God. Those people are not what they claim, more than likely. God knows, not me. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Because He scourgeth and chasteneth every son whom He receiveth. But at the end of the day, that's actually a blessing and a benefit for you and me. Amen? As Christians, we are no longer slaves to sin and under the bondage of the law. 
as an adult son of God, we're set free in Christ. The Christian life is not to be about sin and the, or be slaves to sin in the law, but, but sons and daughters of God. It's not bondage, it's actually liberty. We've been set free from the slave market of sin. But we become slaves to God through Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we are to be slaves, to bond slaves, bond servants. Slaves by choice to God, to Christ, and to others. But that kind of slavery brings freedom to the soul. Real Christianity is a relationship of sons and daughters, not slaves to religion and law. There's a lot of people who confuse Christianity and good works. There's a lot of people who confuse that. Because there are many religious people who do all of these good things, but they don't know a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're still trying in their flesh to earn favor with God. And if I keep this law and keep this rule and obey this and do that, then I'm going to find favor with God. We're children of God by faith, not by works. I'll close with this. You've probably heard of John Wesley. John Wesley was a Methodist preacher. He was raised in a Christian family. He was a member of the Church of England. He was a clergyman, a member of a devoted group of men called the Holy Club. And yet, he was not converted to Jesus Christ. He was very orthodox in his belief. He was full of good works. He went to church regularly when he wasn't preaching. He partook of communion. He gave sacrificially to the Lord's work. He even searched the scriptures. He often fasted. He prayed. He even went to the mission field in America. But he was bound in the chains of salvation by works. For he was trusting in himself and his own righteousness instead of trusting in Jesus Christ and him crucified. After some time, years later, John Wesley actually was born of the Spirit of God and trusted Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And later on, looking back over his pre-conversion days, with all of his good works and all of his religiousness, he wrote these words. He said, I had even then the faith of a servant, but not that of a son. There's a difference between a servant and a son. A son has the nature of his father. A servant does not. A son has a real father. A servant does not. Children of God are only children of God if they're born of the Spirit of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, every person is a creature of God, but not every person is a son or daughter of God. God's children are those who are related to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, through faith in Him. When we're saved, we receive the Spirit of His Son. Thank the Lord for that blessed assurance. Amen. And since we're both sons and heirs in Christ Jesus, we can even now, this very moment, 
draw upon the riches of our inheritance that God has made available to us in Christ. The Judaizers told the Galatians they were, they were going to be better Christians by submitting again to the law. But the law could never, ever bring sonship. And that's what Paul's trying to say. The law could never give you the benefits of being a son of God. Now, as we move forward in our text, and we'll be done here tonight, but as we move forward, Paul's going to begin to make his appeal to the Galatians to drop this legalism. And he's going to begin to show the terrible effects that it will have in their life, that their only freedom is actually in Jesus Christ. But the application for us is, number one, are you saved? Are you truly a child of God? When did you repent of your sin? When did you trust in Christ? Number two, be thankful for the benefits of being a son of God. You have his nature, the spirit of God, amen? That he's your father, that he cares, that he loves. That's an amazing, wonderful truth that should encourage our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for the study. It was encouraging, again, to be reminded of the fact that the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. I thank the Lord and praise the Lord that I don't doubt my salvation. I don't doubt whether I'm a child of God, and there are many who struggle with that over the years, and they're stunted in their spiritual growth, being defeated by our adversary, the devil. And Lord, I'm thankful that deity living within brings comfort, brings assurance, confidence that I'm a child of God. And of course, there's so much more that goes into that, walking in the Spirit and having victory over the flesh and all of those things, which you didn't have time necessarily to dig into all of those tonight. <clears throat> but Lord, may we think on this truth and may it cause us to love you again and even more for the great benefit of being a child of God, a son of God, with full rights and privileges, and that we can take full advantage of the victory that we have in Christ Jesus right now as an heir of God. And that someday, one day, our redemption will be complete and we'll be forever in the presence of the Lord and be rid of this flesh and this old sin nature. Lord, we praise you for that, that the Spirit of God is the, the seal for us, the earnest of our inheritance, the down payment of what's coming. Lord, we, we love you for all of these things and just what a tremendous blessing it is to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd encourage our hearts with these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.